1: Good morning and welcome to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports. I'm your host, Gary Morgan. With me, as always, is the beat writer for Pitt Athletics, Corey Crissom. And Corey, it's Backyard for all Week, brother.
0: Yes, it is. I'm making uh, an should Shouldn't be
1: a mystery what the big topic is today.
0: That's right. I'm, I'm making an H2P with my hands here. I don't know how they do that, but... It's finally here. I said this right before we started going. Like, let's just kick the game off already. All of the talk, all yeah. of the hype, <laughs> all of the build up. I'm ready to rock. You know, we're we're less than a week away, and you could start to feel it. You know, you started to feel it a couple weeks ago, but you're really starting yeah. to feel it now. Uh, down on the south side in that complex, and just talking to Pat Narduzzi, talking to players. So we're ready to go. Right, we're I'm excited to talk. get into it, man. Yeah, let's do it.
1: But uh, you know being a, a, a real journalist you wanted to start with news so we're gonna start with some news um first they named their team captains
0: yes yeah and of Thought course we some comments there of course we're gonna talk brawl uh throughout the show and we're gonna mix and match and then third segment we're really gonna hammer that but uh today the the pit football kickoff lunch in downtown which by the way LaShawn mccoy made a, an appearance and he was the uh big speaker there and Really cool speech that he gave, shared a lot of really cool stories from his playing days, and you know he's a true pick guy, but at the end of that, Pat Narduzzi revealed the uh, team captains, four of them for the season, as voted by the team, as voted by the players, uh, four just home run picks, in my opinion. Uh, offensive tackle Carter Warren, quarterback Keaton Slovis, defensive end Desilin Alexander, and linebacker Servasié Dennis, and Gary, I couldn't think of four better guys to have that role. And I want to start. Right. You know, we could start with Slovis, obviously, a quarterback, new guy. But I actually want to start with Deslin Alexander. And I don't think enough can be said about first off, he's a great football player. That's the bottom line with him. But he's an even better guy off the field. And he doesn't draw all of the pomp and circumstance that some of the other players do. And, you know, not that they're asking for that, but he doesn't get, you know, ESPN screen time by any means. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And look, he's the guy that right now he's, he's working for charity to raise money for children in his hometown back in Haiti. He obviously moved to the United States when he was way young He's currently at about $7,000 on that campaign that started over the summer. And anytime you ask somebody about Deslin, you don't hear about his play first. You hear about the kind of guy he is, the kind of human in person that he is. And you hear about the guy that he is in the locker room and how he's, you know, he's the guy that people turn to for advice, whether it's football or not, whether it's something that may be bothering them. You know, he's kind of the guy that the locker room turns to. So it's really not a surprise to see him listed as the team captain. It's, it's really not. And I think people would say, well, Kalija can he's a better football player or Eric Hallett's the better football player. That might yeah,
1: be that's true. That's always what makes the captain,
0: right? That's right. That might not, that might be true. But at the same time, you want the guy that's going to represent your school and going to the other guys, Keaton Slovis, he mentioned this and I asked him, you know, you got here in January, you had to win a quarterback battle, which by the way, we have a quarterback now. Hooray. Um, (laughs) But the fact that he went from transfer to getting the starting job and he won the trust of that locker room, I think is the most important thing of all of this. You know, Kenny Pickett was a team captain for the last two years. Keen Slovis now reprising that role as a captain. The quarterback doesn't always have to be the captain. It it just works out that way sometimes. So for Keaton Slovis to come in and eight months later be named a team captain, I think that just says a lot of a lot about his value and what he means to that locker room and how highly they really do think of him. And obviously, you know, him winning the quarterback battle over Nick Patty, uh, something to be said about that too. And you know, we'll get into that as we start to talk brawl here. But Servassi so Dennis, the vocal leader of the defense, I mean, he's got a smile on his face twenty four seven. He's the guy that not just linebackers, a lot of people in the defense turn to for, you know, friendship or for advice or for whatever it may be along the lines of Desil Alexander and then Carter Warren, I mean, he's an NFL prospect. You know, he could be playing to the big show right now, but he's well aware of what the goal for this team is and he wants to, to put forward that and he embodies those, hey, we want to win, we want to do this and it's all about we with Carter Warren as well, but I think these are four home run hires, uh, hires, four home run picks, I should say. Yeah, you're hired <laughs> as the captain. Um, I'm in, I'm in, uh, I'm in off-season coach mode, I guess. But but anyway, so those four are, are tremendous picks and really happy to see, especially for Deslin, who, you know, a, a two-time captain. He's the third two-time captain since 2020, uh, Jim Morrissey and then Kenny Pickett. So really cool to see from that. And and that was the big thing today from that kickoff luncheon. You know, Heather like talked. Sean McCoy talked. He told some great stories, obviously, uh, 13-9, you know, so – uh, really awesome yeah. day here downtown and uh, really awesome again. I saw you quoted him
1: Panthers. as saying, uh, I've never lost to West Virginia, which is great.
0: <laughs> Not one lie detected in that one, Gary. <laughs>
1: That's great. So, I mean, we have a couple more minutes here before we got to take a break. Might as well go ahead and say it because you already mentioned Slovis is the quarterback. Mm-hmm. He's been named that. I think we expected that, but you had some thoughts on the way he's been training. Looking at yeah, like, uh, so, some tips from LSU.
0: Yeah, so Nick Patty was involved in this too. I don't want to just, you know, Brad Slow says like, oh, he was outworking Nick Patty because that's not the case. Both of them worked very hard for this. But over the offseason, Pitt took a unique approach at establishing rapport with the receivers because, again, it was all Kenny Pickett for how many years. So you got guys like Jared Wayne, Kanate Monfield, Bud Means, uh, et cetera, Jalen Barden, who... You know, you got to build something with those guys, regardless if it's Keen, Slovis, or Nick Patty starting. So they took a page out of LSU's historic offense from 2019. Over the off-season of 2018 into 2019, they established the summer of 10,000 catches, and you can watch the special. It was an ESPN uh, little series there, and uh, basically, that's what they did. They made sure that five times a week they throw 200 footballs to these receivers. And some of the drills that LSU did, you know, like catching balls through a doorway with the door opening and closing and wearing uh, peripheral vision blinding goggles, you know, that was included (laughs) in LSU's, you know, LSU's regiment. I don't know to the extent of what Pitt did, but I I admire that, that Slovis and Patty made it a point to say, hey, regardless of who wins this job, both of them are going to get a lot of work in with the receivers outside of practice. and. Narduzzi even mentioned, yeah. you know, it'd be 10 o'clock at night. The lights would be on and they'd be out there throwing balls to the receivers. And receivers, by the way, benefiting from this too, catching footballs and getting used to the quarterbacks and the timing and all of that and the routes. So I think that was really cool. They, they told that anecdote, uh, you know, last week. And, you know, not just that benefiting Keen, Keen Slovis, but that benefiting Nick patty in a way. You know, Slovis winning the battle over patty, you, you, you you anticipated it kind of. And I wrote about this – on um, Thursday about what kind of message would it send to future transfers? If you bench Slovis after he comes over, but at the same time, you know, Nick Patty, I think he's handled this tremendously because, you know, he could transfer. I don't think he will. And I don't anticipate him to do so. But in this day of college football for a guy like Nick Patty to be humble about it, which I'm willing to bet that he is, we haven't talked to him quite yet. I think that's truly tremendous, but we'll get more into that obviously in the second segment.
1: Yeah, let's let's go ahead and take a quick break. We come back. I think it's time. Let's go brawler, right? With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. All right, and welcome back to the H2P Podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports. Corey and Gary with you, and it's brawl time. I mean, West Virginia and Pitt at Akershore Stadium. Hear how good I said it this Thursday night. Pitt is ranked 17th in the nation preseason, according to ESPN. And West Virginia is 51. So uh, we're going to discuss a bunch of different aspects of this game, but I want to start with strengths versus weaknesses. We talked last week about Pitt being a bit thin and untested in the secondary. Well, West Virginia is probably one of the better passing squads out there, (laughs) potentially, uh, if they can protect JT Daniels. Daniels has thrown for just about 5,000 yards and 32 touchdowns in his career. And he's got some stud receivers.
0: He does. And how cool is this quarterback duel, by the way? JT Daniels, Keaton Slovis, both former teammates at USC. Um, right. You know, both USC signees out of high school. Slovis obviously starting nine games for USC last season. And here's the cool thing about this, too, is a lot of the prognosticators have pit favored in this game, as they should. But it's, it's a rivalry game, dude. Like, you don't know what's going to happen in this. Not right. just because of the rivalry. I mean, 13-9, right? You didn't think Pitt was going to win that game. But with rivalry games, this holds true for, think of the greatest rivalries in the sport, right? Ohio State, Michigan, uh, Notre Dame, USC, Notre Dame, Michigan, whoever you want to pair them with. Right. Um, Doesn't
1: all, matter how good or bad they are. Yeah.
0: Iron Bowl, For
1: some reason, they come together, and it's a hell of a game.
0: Now, I'm not going to sit in this seat right now and lie through my teeth and say Pitt's going to lose this game because I don't think they will. But I think with all of that added intrigue, and you you brought up Pitt's secondary, and to me that's – I don't want to say it's suspect, but I don't think it's the strongest position on the team either. So with that said, the passing attack for West Virginia, offensive, quarter, offensive coordinator Graham Harrell over at West Virginia, you know, offensive line there is, is experienced and they're pretty talented. Daniels is an accurate quarterback. He's completed 64% of his passes when he's on the field. 32 touchdowns to yep. 18 picks. The former five-star talent out of high school this is a tough matchup for Pitt in week one. And don't get me wrong. That's something they're embracing in that locker room. They're embracing the fact that they're hitting the ground hard and they're in the rivalry right away. And they didn't have to lollygag out of camp and, and they had to be ready. This team's going to be ready. And I think this is going to be one of those cases where in these kind of games, the trenches control everything. Pitt's, Offensive line, we've talked about how experienced and how deep it is. Pitt's D line, we've talked about just how good it is and how fast they are and what they can do. If that pit D line, this I think is the big cliche key to the game, and I and I loathe keys to the game as a segment. <laughs> no, it's a
1: great cliche, and after you say exactly what I know you're going to say because it's that cliche, Yeah, I've got a rebound for you.
0: <laughs> I loathe keys to the game. In any broadcast setting, it's filler. (laughs) I know what
1: you're going to say though.
0: It's filler. It gives me nothing, but here's what I I will say. If Pitt can get to Daniels and they can stop the run game for West Virginia, then that's going to open everything up for the Panthers. And I think they'll be able to do that. I think Pitt wins. Last I checked the spread, it was near six in favor of Pitt. I think they're going to win and cover and, I think there's going to be a decent amount of points. I'm not going to say, uh, you know, 35-30. I'm not going to say 13-9 either. I think it's going to be somewhere in that middle, um, you know, as far as point totals. But I think this is a favorable matchup for Pitt at the end of the day because Pitt has a strong running game too. And they've made it known they want to run the football. And they've made it known that they want to use all five running backs. And I think they'll be able to do that.
1: I think Pitt's running backs can probably take over this game. Because mm-hmm. if West Virginia has a weakness, it's it's their defense, pretty much every facet of it. Mm-hmm. Like even the, even up front, they're they're kind of thin.
0: the now, uh, behind Dante Stills, I think because Stills yeah. is a tremendous player.
1: Yes, but their offensive line that returns five starters. So I mean, like they're experienced, if nothing else. I, I I trust them to protect the quarterback. I don't trust them to get the running game going, especially with junior Tony Mathis being the only real running back back there, I think.
0: Pitt has 15 returning starters and obviously the home field, which I think plays into this a little bit. And I think there's going to be a chance for West Virginia to hang around. It could be closer than I think. And, you know, Their running game is fine. Their defensive line is fine. But it's just not, I don't think, strong enough at the end of the day to carry them over that edge and to supersede Pitt and to win that football game. I think Pitt just at the end of the day has more than West Virginia does, and I think that's the separating factor.
1: I think they could potentially be looking to almost try to beat the tar out of them with the running game with fresh runners over and over again. Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) Mm-hmm. And, Just and, pounding
1: that defensive line.
0: And keep West Virginia's secondary in mind. They're not that experienced either. And right. with what we talked about in the first segment, with, with Slovis having the you know the summer of ten thousand catches along with Patty and, and establishing that rapport quickly with with his receivers, I think the passing attack can have a big game. I I did live cues for us on. Uh, Thursday on on the website and somebody asked, you know, what, what newcomer could make a big splash or be, could be a big surprise in in this game. I predicted, is this bold? I don't know. I think Kanate Mumfield has a touchdown reception of 30 or more yards. I think there's something realistic to that. I think there's something realistic to that. I think there's going to be a chance could be a play action drop back could be, you know, just slow us in the gun and Mumfield breaks free I think there is chance for big play potential from these wide receivers and potentially, uh, especially, I should say, Kanate Mumfield. Uh, you know, Wayne's going to work the field however he needs. He can definitely work better underneath, I think, and that's going to open up deep for, for Mumfield and Bub Means for that matter. Both guys have good speed. I, I think that at the end of the day also, West Virginia's secondary just isn't that strong. So I think there's right. a potential big day there for Kanate Mumfield in his pit debut.
1: The other interesting thing about this matchup is it's two brand new offensive coordinators and instituting brand new playbooks and, you know, with new quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. There could be some hiccups. You know, when you made a joke about 13 9, I thought to myself, I've seen that sort of thing with two offenses that are supposed to click (laughs) that just haven't had enough time to gel yet.
0: Yeah, and in week one, right? It, it's a uh, right. it's a matter of figuring out quickly because you know, not just looking. I'm not trying to look too far ahead. Pitt in week two as Tennessee, so if you don't have the kinks ironed out in week one, you better figure them out quickly, <laughs> or rather before week one. So um, obviously, Frank Signetti and, and Graham Harrell, the respective OCs, have, have worked tirelessly with these new quarterbacks, and it's kind of right. it's kind of funny in, the, in a similar situation, right? USC yeah. transfers, new OCs, um, you know, new installs—all of this is new for the offenses. And iron sharpens iron, big cliche again. Pitt's been doing it against the, an elite defense. They've been trying to iron out this offense in front of an elite defense. Quite frankly, West Virginia's defense just doesn't match up to Pitt's. I don't think, and uh, so that could be a, a an early big thing concern. That helps out.
1: An early concern that you brought up in scouting this team this year from in practice is. The kicking game, you know, and and you had said we're we're not talking about it very much. I saw they named one. So where do we sit? How do you feel?
0: Yes, we do have a place kicker Uh, today. Narduzzi said Ben Saul's is going to be the team's primary place kicker. He beat Sam Skarton out for the job. And this is interesting. Narduzzi mentioned Saul's made. He said, I think it was 82%. It was in the realm of 80% of his kicks. And he said, you know, Alex Kessman territory, which I didn't expect an Alex Kessman drop today, but I got one. (laughs) But I think that having that kicking battle decided so late in camp too, you know, all of the quarterbacks, you know, Narduzzi took his time. Signetti took his time to decide that. I think Andre Powell and Narduzzi took their time in deciding and giving Scarton and Saul's every bit of opportunity to prove themselves in camp. And Ben Solz. some might criticize him for his leg, for how strong it is, for his accuracy from, from range. He looked pretty good in camp to me. And quite honestly, I'm not trying to disrespect Sam Skarton here, Hickory Hornet, uh, you know, fellow Shenango Valley resident uh, uh, like me. <laughs> I'm not trying to disrespect Sam Skarton. Sauls just looked better in camp for what I saw. And, and, you know, while we were allowed to view some of the, the windows and practice, you know, I, I, took a few days to kind of watch Saul's and watch starting and watch that competition. And I'll be Frank, Saul's just kind of had better body language while walking around while preparing, while doing his, his kicking drills on the side. Cause special teams, they operate on their own wavelength throughout practice, except for the times where they're doing there, you know, with the 11s. Um, but just from even the, the minor minutia of all of that, I think Saul's just kind of looked more confident. At the end of the day, that leads to feeling more confident, and this doesn't come as a surprise to me because of what I've seen from those two throughout camp. Now, I don't think Saul's has a short leash, but I do know Narduzzi likes Scarton, and I do know that Narduzzi. You know what? I don't want to say he wants to find opportunities for Sam Scarton to kick, but if Ben Sauls has let's say two bad games right in a row, right, would Narduzzi be compelled to go to scarton That I think is up for debate. So while Sauls <laughs> won the job, I don't think he's cemented. Yeah, that into doesn't that. feel.
1: Man, I have a hard time feeling secure when there's a battle that close. You right, know? It, it makes me feel like nobody really just jumped
0: up and grabbed it. I will um, say, I will say, in the case of Slovis for versus Patty, you should. I will say that I think context matters here. Slovis v. Patty. If it took as long as Narduzzi said it took, then I think you can feel comfortable about that because if if God forbid something happens to Keaton Slovis. Nick Patty can kind of just seamlessly come right in more seamlessly than you could say for a a place kicker to have to get warmed up and get back into routine and all of this to kick footballs again. I think that context matters.
1: All right. I'll tell you what, Corey, let's take another quick break. When we come back, let's talk about some players to keep our eyes on. Welcome back to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports. And Corey, I think the, the fun way to wrap up the brawl, we got to talk about some of the guys that we really want to keep our eyes peeled on. And for me, it's Kalijah I can't <laughs> I can't think of anybody else that I love watching. I mean, he reminds me so much of a young Aaron Donald. I just want
0: to see him play. What reminds you so much of him, uh, of AD, when it comes to him?
1: He has a constant motor, for one thing, and he just is evasive at the line, like so slick about how he gets around and makes space for himself to make plays. It's just instinctual play that you just can't instruct. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you can teach technique, but that's skill that takes it to another level. That was what always made Aaron Donald so sneaky good.
0: The thing that impresses me the most about Cansey is how quick he gets off the ball, it, it, a la Aaron Donald. He From right at snap, boom, he's out. And he's got the quick moves. He's he's fast and agile for a DT. So I see some of those traits. You know, obviously, Aaron Donald is top of the mountain. He's Mount Rushmore, in my oh, humble opinion. Yeah. He's, he's Mount Rushmore of defensive players ever in pro football. So that's all. That's a very high comparison a, for him.
1: <laughs> if you take it down, a, you know, a decade, like a Xerox of a Xerox, that's the way I'd put it. There you go. I just think he plays like him. Not that he's ever going to play to his level. Nobody is anytime soon. So
0: <laughs> who else is on your mind? But,
1: uh, well for West Virginia, um, Bryce Ford Wheaton,
0: you stole my receiver. Mine. You
1: actually stole th- mine. I'm I not kidding. Think- gonna- Seriously. Yep. Go for it. I mean, I- I think with with an accurate quarterback like you were talking about earlier with Daniels, I think that has a, has a money matchup because mm-hmm. they actually have a nice threat at the other side in Sam James. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, Ford Wheaton is just athletic, big, fast. I mean, like he runs great routes. I, I really think having a quarterback that can actually maximize that skill set is going to set that kid to another level.
0: And by the way, so. at 6'3", 224 listed, that's a big body to throw to. And yeah. it, look, we talked about it first segment. If if Daniels is their guy and Harold, they, they solidify their concepts in camp, this could be a big player for them come Thursday. And again, with that pit secondary, I'm not the highest on it. He can make some plays in this game, and, and I think there's definitely potential for that player that stood out to me on the opposite side of Kalash Cansey, he'll be lining up is Zach Frazier the the center mm-hmm. for West Virginia sophomore uh 6'3 306 decent size second team all big 12 last year but he's a guard that converted over to center he's not a quote-unquote true center now I think that's a matchup Cancy wins but this offensive line, it's him and then basically Brandon Yates out on the left tackle. So I'm not sure exactly how strong I feel about that depth to, to keep a hold of them. And, you know, they got transferred Doug Nestor at guard. They ha- they have, you know, James, uh, I, I'm going to botch this, uh, Gmiter Gmiter, G-Miter at, at, at guard. And, you know, he's a four-year starter, but I still don't know if that offensive line matches up like to match up to Pitt's defensive line like they think it does.
1: It certainly isn't going to match up to the depth that Pitt can put out there. No. Because Pitt can pound you with two solid lines of defense if they want to.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and that's uh, that's something that I've seen them do a little bit more, subbing like guys in and out a little bit more on the edge rushes from, from defensive end last year. Mm-hmm. Kept guys so much more fresh and – I think it helped Kansi uh, a lot in particular, but Savasie Dennis as well,
0: because that guy's
1: motor doesn't stop.
0: Well, a, a player I'm watching out for West Virginia. You mentioned Dennis, a linebacker. I'll go with linebacker Jasir Cox. He is what Pitt got with Tyler Wiltz. in a sense that, <laughs> in a sense that senior transfer from a really darn good FCS school. Wiltz came to pit from Missouri State. Cox from North Dakota State, the cream of the crop. You know, they're the Alabama, they're the Ohio State of the FCS. They're championship yeah. or bust every year. He comes from a winning program. I mean, 124 tackles, three sacks, three picks, 10 broken up passes, seven and a half tackles for loss over his last two seasons with the Bisons. That is a tough program to excel in because of the standard that it holds i mean it holds itself to an fbs standard so if we're talking about pitt's running game and how they might be able to break out this is going to be the guy that has to play well to stop them i'll give you two i'll give you two that i have in mind for pitt number one on the offense is gavin bartholomew and i don't know if that name was expected to come up today but here it is because you have a guy that's Taken over for Lucas Kroll, who is a solid tight end in this in this ACC and against Power 5 competition. That offense, they feel that Bartholomew can just slide right in and continue to do what Kroll has been doing. They feel that Gavin Bartholomew is another, essentially just a wide receiver. And before of course, we, get, go before ahead.
1: we get too far in on Bartholomew, can you also touch on how this new offense is going to use the tight end? Because I think that's a question I had. I don't even question Bartholomew's skill. I just felt like he hasn't been getting mentioned much, and it's maybe because he's not real involved in the offense. So.
0: It's, it's not that he's not going to be involved. The pro-style offense, it, it, it tends to benefit the running backs and the wide receivers a little bit more than it would the tight end. Now, Bartholomew is athletic enough to be put in a slot, to be lined up on, on, on the flank of a tackle. He's athletic enough to do both. And there's going to be situations where they're going to need a big target to get down the field and get a football in the middle of the field. They're going to need someone to absorb a hit. They're going to need someone to make a key block. Gavin Bartholomew is going to be, while he might not be a stat sheet stuffer, he's going to be just as important to this offense as any other player. Just because of the versatility with the position. Um, Their tight ends coach. He basically called (laughs) Bartholomew. I had to laugh at this. Called him a a big, strong rascal. Like you want those, (laughs) you want those, you know, those kind of guys to play that position for you. Someone that's not afraid to lay the big block one play and then go catch a pass downfield the next. They like Gavin Bartholomew a lot, and they're going to find ways to get him involved. And I think that. In, in a similar vein and talking about the, the linebacker at West Virginia, talking about Cox, I think that you could say just about the same about Gavin Bartholomew and, in, in controlling the middle of the field and opening opportunities for those running backs at the end of the day. So Gavin, Gavin Bartholomew on the offense for Pitt for me. And then a guy on the defense, and I've talked about it before about John Morgan, if Cancey yeah. and Baldonado are going to be as impactful for this defensive line, and along with Deslin Alexander, by the way, as, as we anticipate them to be, then that's going to open up opportunities for guys like David Green and John Morgan. And Morgan had a great spring camp. He's looked stronger throughout the summer. He's an athletic, fast guy off the line. I think there's an opportunity for John Morgan here to really make a statement and, and come out for a what do they say coming out party to have one of those I think there's a chance for John Morgan here to have a really solid day against that West Virginia O-line he'll be lined up on the opposite side um, you know as that tackle that I mentioned you know I, I mentioned West Virginia's offensive line with Brandon Yates you know he's going to be at left tackle again if you line Morgan up on that right side I think there's a chance for him to make some good plays.
1: Awesome, man! I'm looking forward to it, and like you said earlier, let's just get the game going. It's uh, it's enough buildup now. I love that it's opening the season too. Mm-hmm. It's forces both these these teams to have been focused on on the very beginning of the season all along instead of that cupcake. Love it.
0: Do you want to give a? We should do. We should do. I mean, we're week zero now, so it's a little tough. We should do picks against the spread. We didn't think of this before the podcast because uh, we're both professionals. So (laughs) much to the chagrin of that, what do you have as a final score for this game? I'm curious.
1: Oh, I think Pitt's going to score 27, and I'd give West Virginia 17.
0: I think it's about 28-21 Pitt. I think it's a touchdown. I think it's a
1: pretty much in the ballpark.
0: I think it's a seven to 10 point game. I think Pitt wins and they cover. I'm going to say, I'm going to say it's in that realm of that. I don't think it's going to be low scoring. I don't see it being, I just don't see it being low scoring. I think there's going to be some opportunities for big plays to break out.
1: Yeah. I just don't think it's going to be crisp. And sometimes that leads to splash plays. Sometimes that leads to, you know, sloppy attempts at running plays and,
0: you know, I don't see forty five forty either. You know, no. I think I think there's something in the middle there. So I think we both have Pitt winning this. I think we both have Pitt going one and zero. I think that's a comfortable projection. I think a comfortable pick. Pitt fans, of course, it's a rivalry. You should feel confident about your team. And I might have a little question in my voice there, but I don't. You should feel confident about your team starting one and zero. I I feel. And uh, obviously, with a big one against Tennessee in week two, we'll, we'll be back right here with the conversation on it. And obviously, next week on H2P, we'll be probably recapping a backyard brawl.
1: I would think we'll be recapping and probably looking a little bit forward, you know, but we'll have a good time anyway. Hopefully, we'll be in really good moods. We'll see.
0: <laughs> I think we so, will. I have hey, a feeling that we will.
1: With no further ado, how do we always end the show? Hail to pit.
0: Hail to pit.